Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. I hate to be woke up in the middle of the night when I'm having a good dream. Is anybody here with me? It's like the worst thing ever because in your dreams, like nothing is actually real. It's like it's nothing is really connected to reality or what's actually happening in your life, but everything feels great, doesn't it? Most of the time. In a really good dream, you, you, you hate to be woke up from. It's like one of those dreams where you are Chuck Norris, and every Chuck Norris joke that has been told about Chuck Norris is true about you. Like they said, Chuck Norris's tears cure cancer. Too bad Chuck Norris doesn't cry. You know, it's like... Uh, These kind of things. And so you are Chuck Norris in your dream, and you get woke up, and you're like, no, I was Chuck Norris. I was having an incredible time. I was the man. And you try to go back to sleep, and you try to regain traction in that dream, you know? You know what I'm talking about, right? The worst way to wake up, though, especially when you're having a good dream, is like to wake up to like your creepy kid's face, like right here in front of you. You know, any parents or anybody that's an aunt, an uncle, or spend some time around kids, you know, you're sleeping and they come walking in your room in the middle of the night and they just stand there and stare at you with their blanket or maybe they've got vomit on their hands or whatever. And you wake up and you're like, "Oh my gosh, what are you doing there?" And they're like, "Well, I didn't want to wake you up." Well, you didn't succeed at that. You failed terribly. But, I, but I, I hate waking up like that. And I think there's, this, there's these moments in life for all of us where we wake up from a dream. Life hits you and things happen and you never are able to quite return back to pick up that dream. And for some, some people they wake up early in life. Like when you're young and you, you learn about what the word divorce means. Other people wake up and you get a phone call in the middle of the day and it's like, hey, there's been an accident. We need, we need you to come to the hospital. Others of you get called into a board meeting or to a business meeting, and they say, listen, the, the job that you've worked for 20 years is, well, we're doing away with that position. We wake up. And loss is inevitable. We all face it. We all lose jobs. We all lose health. We all lose relationships, money. We experience all of it. In the, Bible, Jesus, or in the Bible, it says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That means it doesn't matter whether you're a Christ follower or not, that good things and bad things happen to both of us. It's just the way it goes. In fact, if you are a Christ follower, be encouraged because Jesus said, hey, you're going to have trouble in this life. He said, you're going to. And you're like, geez, pastor, be positive. I am positive. Positive that you're going to have trouble in this life. Positive. But loss and difficulties are just part of this life, and so how do we get through that? How do we deal with loss when we experience it? Ernest Hemingway is a very famous author, and he was sitting with some friends, and they challenged him, and they bet him that he couldn't write a story using only six words. And he wrote this story, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Those six words tell the story. And all of us at some point in our life are going to have 
these six words that represent the loss that we experience in our lives. For, for people, it'll be different. Some, of the, some people, their six words are, I'm leaving, the marriage is over, or I just want to be friends, or the cancer isn't responding to treatment, or you're not able to conceive, or here's a rose off the casket. We will, at the end of our lives, all have a story of loss to tell, but be encouraged because Jesus says at the end of the dream, there's hope for you. When you are jolted awake, there is hope for you. There's comfort in these words that we find from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, if you're hearing this verse for the first time, or even if it's for, you know, you, you, you've read the Bible all your life and this is like nothing new to you, you've heard this before, you still want to look at this verse and go, blessed? Blessed? Is, is that really the word that you meant to use? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. Last week we talked about a, a similar verse and we said that when we hear these kind of verses, we, it's like a puppy dog hearing a strange sound. Blessed? The kind of puppy turns his head to the side, huh? What is that? You sure? And so let me just pause for a moment. Let me tell you what this series is all about. The series The Walking Dead is, is all about what we become when we reach the end of ourselves. In the television show, there's, there's this virus that's released on all these people's lives, and when they die, they resurrect and become a new creature. Well, isn't it funny? That's what the Bible says about us. That when we come to follow Christ, we have died to ourselves and we become a new creature. Everything becomes brand new. The life that we live at that point is not our own. We're not the same person. We are something brand new. And so we're looking at this because there's this new life that emerges. This real life that Jesus talks about emerges when we die to ourselves. Colossians 3, 3 says it this way. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, last week, we talked about what this real life looked like. What does this real life mean, this, this blessed life that Jesus is speaking about in the Sermon on the Mount? Because he's giving us the keys to understanding the blessed life, to understanding the life that Jesus promised us, which is a full and fulfilled life. And so if we are to understand it, we need to, we need to dive in and understand what he's saying. What exactly does he mean? He's saying, hey, there's this blessed life you can have. But you can't have it without the first part of this verse, which is we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to die. Now, are we talking about a physical death? Not necessarily, though we know that when we die, there will be a, a transformation of our bodies. When we get to heaven, we'll have a different form. But he's talking about life on this earth, that when we die to ourselves, we die to our desires, our selfishness, to our control and to our dreams. When we surrender it all to the lordship of Jesus, we become something else. We become the walking dead. So our thought on this whole series, if you're taking notes, if you're here for the first time today, and I just want you to get this, is that where you end is where you'll find Jesus begins. Where you end is where you'll find Jesus begins. Now this sounds counterintuitive. It doesn't seem like it would work on the surface, but it does. Jesus, last week we were looking at the, in the series where Jesus said, blessed are the poor. But we don't understand that, right? We say blessed are the rich. Blessed are those who have stuff. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
And he's talking about those who are broken inside, bankrupt spiritually, and, and willingly confess, I can't do this on my own, and I need help. I can't mend it. I can't quit it. I can't put it down. I can't put the pieces back together. I need you, God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it seems counterintuitive, this, that last week's verse. But this week's verse, it not only seems counterintuitive, it, it, it doesn't seem like it will work, but it also seems contradictory. Because blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's like saying, happy are the sad. It doesn't really make sense, does it? How does Jesus say this to us? And what does he mean specifically by blessed are those who mourn? Well, when we look at Scripture, there are two different kinds of mourning. Uh, the very first kind is, is the mourning the tragic circumstances that inevitably rise in life. This morning deals with loss. It deals with loss of health or relationships. It, it conveys a grieving. So blessed are you who mourn in general sounds okay, but when you get very specific, it, it kind of takes on a different, a different form. It seems a little untrue. Like when you say blessed is the young widow who's raising four kids on her own. That doesn't seem right, does it? Blessed is the man who's lost his job and is about to lose his home. Blessed is the alcoholic. Blessed is the child with a disability that makes him feel different than everyone else. Blessed is the wife whose husband has walked out. When you get very specific, when you go from generalities to specific, this just doesn't seem true on the surface. Blessed are those who mourn. What does it mean? Well, Jesus does this to us often. He kind of takes our assumptions about life, like we assume that blessed would be rich, blessed would be people that have, and blessed are the people who everything is going their way, blessed are the people who don't really have to work hard at things, but blessed are people who, who their dreams come true and everything seems to work out for them. That's what we think. But Jesus regularly takes what we think and flips it. He says, no, 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 this is the way to real life. This is the way you experience my blessing. He says, those ways are not the blessed life. And we kind of understand this because that verse in Colossians says our real life is hidden with Christ. This is the hidden nature of it. It just doesn't seem like it would make sense to us. And so we kind of gloss on by it. Well, I don't really understand what he means there. He must have been, you know, out in the sun a little too long that day or something, you know, and he just kind of said things and somebody wrote it down and it wasn't right. We kind of gloss by it because we don't, we don't get it. It doesn't seem like it would work. But if we want to understand this hidden life, this real hidden life that he's talking about, we need, to, we need to dive in, we need to get it right. So blessed are those who mourn. I would say this, that if you've ever had or experienced loss in your life, the, the greatest blessing comes during those times. Why? Because blessed are those who mourn for you're comforted. See, when you're mourning, when you're hurt, when you're broken and, and experiencing this loss, when you're grieving, that's when God draws near to you. That's when you have that opportunity to empty yourself out and God fills that space with himself. The greatest blessings that I've ever experienced in my life has come through a time of tears. Why? Because I experienced God's love. I experienced God's peace in a very real way through my tears. And loss is, is inevitable. And how we respond to loss, though, that's totally up to us. We all handle it differently. Some of us push God away, but others of us lean into him. We draw near to him. And when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. One of the best examples of this is in the, uh, in the Bible is the story of Job. Job was a, a very rich man. And we'll pick up Job chapter 1, verse 1. It says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. This kind of feels like a Dr. Seuss rhyme when we started off, doesn't it? Where's he going with this? 
He was, bla- he was a blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Now, this, to be clear, was Job's blessed life. To me, this sounds horrible. That much cattle and that much sheep just sound like the smell. I'm just out. I'm done. This is not my picture of a blessed life. If it's yours, good on you. But it's not mine, okay? But, but Job has all of this stuff. And in a very short period of time, he loses it all. His animals die. His crops dry up. His, he, his body, he begins to experience sores all over his body. And then, in one horrific situation, his sons and daughters were all gathered in a house, and a tornado came through, knocked the house down, kills all his kids. Everybody's gone, except his wife. But she's kind of turned on him and told him, Job, you need to curse God and die. And Job is, is broken. He has lost everything, all of his wealth, goes from being the richest guy in the land, having the blessed life, what you and I would call the blessed life. And yet, at the end of his complaining, because he goes on for like 40 chapters complaining, by the way, it's really tough to get through. (laughs) But he comes to a place where he begins to mourn and to grieve. And here's how Job ultimately responds as he comes through this morning, as he comes through tears, he says about God, he said, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Before the pain and before the mourning, Job had heard about God. He knew about him, but through the pain, he came to know him. There's a difference in knowing about God and knowing him. There's definitely a difference. And in the middle of the pain, God made himself known to Job. Because what God does is he comes into that space created by our loss, and he fills it with himself. Everyone will experience loss and and mourn, but those who follow Jesus find that it's not in vain. Because you're blessed. This is what what the verse says it again uh, uh, in the message translation. I really like it. It says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. In other words, we have to experience loss in our life, no matter what that looks like, in order to fully understand all who God is. In Ecclesiastes, it says that this is part of God's plan for us. There's a time for all these things. There's a time for rejoicing and dancing, but there's a time for loss and mourning. There's a time for it. And then it ends that little section and says, but God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything. This is hard for us, though. It's hard for us to hear because we avoid mourning. We medicate our grieving or or we delay our grieving and medicate ourselves through drinking, through partying, through busyness of our activities and our schedules. We do anything but mourn and grieve. Why? We don't want to feel the feeling. Perfect example of this is, is I saw played out yesterday. Um, yesterday, my, my brother got married, and I was able to officiate the wedding. It was beautiful. Not because I did it. I mean, like, it was just beautiful. It was just, I'm so proud of him. He's got a good woman, and she's going to make him a good man. No, I'm kidding. He's a good guy, too. 
But after the ceremony was done, I was sitting and, and talking with family, and I, I found out that my, my, uh, my grandmother passed away yesterday at noon. This is, this is representative of who we are. Understand what I'm saying. See, I didn't know. I didn't know anything had happened. I couldn't tell by looking at my mom or looking at my dad or looking at my aunt or anybody else who knew that she had passed. Why? Because we, we go, we got to keep it together. we got to keep the ship going. Everything's got to be okay. We don't need to experience pain. Now, I appreciate why they did it and why they didn't tell anybody else and kept on the happy face. They didn't want to rain on the parade, so to speak. I appreciate what they did. But I think it's representative of our attitudes in general. We, we, we push away from mourning. We, we don't want to experience all those feelings. We don't want to cry. This is really hard for guys, and I don't know why this is. We don't, we don't want to cry. We don't want to let it out because it makes us less of a man. There's no greater lie that's ever been told than that one. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when you go through tragedy and you wake up from the dream, there's a blessing in that moment. So far, we've just been talking about the the, the tragedy and the loss and the mourning that comes from that. But when we look at Scripture, that's just one way that we can mourn. There's a second way, and I think this is what Jesus meant in the context of this verse. While I know that there is definitely a blessing for those who mourn because they will be comforted, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. It's one of his roles. It's one of his jobs. That's what he does. He comforts us in time of loss and grief. But Jesus was more speaking to a posturing, an attitude. These are called, the Sermon of the Mount, after all, is commonly known as the Beatitudes. This has more to do with our attitudes about us and our attitudes towards God in general. And so the second kind of mourning that we find all throughout Scripture and what Jesus was speaking to is mourning the sin in my life and in the world around me. It's mourning the sin in my life and in the world around me. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this term sin, let me kind of wicka wicka break it down for you, all right? Sin is basically missing the mark of what God's best is for you. In other words, God says, here's my best for you, and you're way over here. You're missing it. And so when we live our lives contrary or apart from God's best for us, it is sin. He has a plan for us, he has a purpose for us, and he has a way for us to live and guide our thoughts and behaviors and our hearts. And when we're outside of that, it's sin, plain and simple. And so this is talking about mourning the waywardness of our lives and the waywardness of our communities around us. This Jesus, Jesus is now speaking about a grieving and a weeping. It's a brokenness over our sin. Time and time again, Scripture bears out a connection between our willingness to grieve or mourn over our sin and our community's sin, and that when we do, it invites and brings God's blessing, a refreshing, a comfort to us. Over and over again throughout the Bible, you'll see his people do that. One of the greatest examples of this is with King David. If you're unfamiliar with the story of King David, here's what happened. King David was supposed to be at war. He's where he shouldn't have been. That's how he got himself in trouble. Some of us know that story. That's how we all got in trouble. Someplace we shouldn't have been. David's up on his rooftop, and he looks over, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. He sends one of his servants to get get her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. She tells David, I'm pregnant. Bathsheba's married. 
David, being the king, tries to bring her husband who's at war home to have him, well, you know, sleep with her and make him think that it's his kid. But Uriah, her husband, won't do it. He refuses to. He says, how can I do this? How can I be with my wife when my comrades are at war and I can't do this right now? And so David sent Uriah off to war with a letter to his general that said, in the thick of the battle, put Uriah at the front, pull back, and make sure Uriah dies. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. This is what the Bible says about him. A man who is included in the bloodline of Jesus. King David, the guy who wrote the majority of the book of Psalm. Solomon's father, that King David. And he was an adulterer and a murderer. And so, David makes Bathsheba his wife. And a prophet, or what they called a seer at the time, somebody who would speak on God's behalf and really call out the sin in people's lives, and came to David. His name was Nathan. And he said, Nathan, he said David, let me tell you a story. There was a rich man who had a bunch of sheep. He was very wealthy. And he had a neighbor who was poor and had one lamb that he had raised from from being very small and had, the, the lamb had become like a family member to them. And they loved that little lamb. And the rich man had a guest come into town and in the middle of the night he went and stole his neighbor's lamb and slaughtered it and served it to his friend for dinner. David heard this story from Nathan the prophet and he was outraged. He wanted justice. He said, who is that man? And Nathan looked at him and said, you, sir, are the man. And in that moment, David knew. He recognized his sin. He was, he was broken. And he's repentant. And in Psalm 32, David talks of God's blessing being absent from his life until he broke. Psalm 32, 3 says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. He continues about the situation in another chapter of Psalm. In chapter 51, verse 7, he says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Basically, what is David saying? He's saying if you want God's blessing in your life, that you have, if you want that joy to return to you, then you have to repent. There must be a mourning over your sin. There must be a grieving over your sin. But this isn't how we do it, is it? I mean, we apologize for our sins, like, God, I'm sorry, you know, but it's kind of like when we talk to God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I did. It's kind of like in the same way when you're at a restaurant and you spill a glass of water and somebody comes and clean it up for you and you go, sorry about that. We, we, say, we say sorry. But sorry is not what this verse is talking about. It's a deep groaning. It's a mourning and a weepingness and brokenness over our sin. And this is what invites the blessing of God into our lives. Over the years, we've seen many politicians, especially lately, come out and apologize for things that they've done. And they say words like, I regret what I did, you know. But this is not the same. An apology is an expression of regret. It says, I'm sorry. 
but a confession is an admission of fault. It says, I'm sorry because I did wrong. An apology addresses the audience, but a confession implies an interchange of hearts. There's a difference. There's a difference. And this is what David talks about. It's a confession that reveals a change in us. But we don't do this. We, we, we don't want to do this. We, we'll apologize like when we get caught, but we don't practice voluntary confession, do we? We, we don't do that very well, it's, but if we get caught, we do. It's like voluntary confession seems like self-sabotaging. It would be like us driving on the highway. We, start, we look down at the speedometer, and we're going 80 miles an hour in a 65. We slow down to 65, and then when we see a cop down the road, we pull over, step out of our vehicle, and say, uh, listen, I'm really sorry. I was, uh, I was going 80 miles an hour back there. Seems self-sabotaging, doesn't it? We don't practice voluntary confession. We confess when we get busted, but most of the time, we aren't sorry for what we did. We're just sorry that we got caught. And we know that sorry is the thing that we're supposed to say. It becomes a knee-jerk reflex kind of thing, right? Because that's what our parents, you hit your brother in the face, go tell him you said sorry. Go say sorry. And we learn that's what we're supposed to do. We go say sorry. Sorry, when you really think about it, this is something I teach my kids, and you're going to say, what a jerk when I tell you this, but I tell my kids, you know, sorry is cheap. That cost you nothing. What would have cost you something would have been your obedience. I'd rather have that than your cheap apology. Thank you for saying sorry. I appreciate it. However, understand, this is what I'm looking for. Some of you like me a little less right now, and that's okay. Jesus says, blessed are you when you grieve over your sins. Not because you're busted, not because you have no other choice, but because you've grieved the holy heart of God. You're not just sorry because you shouldn't have talked to your spouse or your parents that way. You're not just sorry because you took another drink. You're not just sorry because you shouldn't have looked at that. You're not just sorry because you gossiped about a friend. You're broken because of, of how your sin offends our Heavenly Father and what it costs Jesus to forgive us in the first place. I personally know that there's a difference from when I'm sorry and when there's a change in my heart. Simple way to kind of decide this is if somebody's talking to you and saying that they're sorry, maybe you have a friend who's saying they really want to change something. Here's the question. Have you cried over this yet? Have you wept about this yet? Has this bothered you enough that you were to the point of tears over it? Because I think until there are tears, you aren't ready to ask for God's blessing in that area of your life. You're, you're, you're just not. This Greek word used for mourning in this verse is described this way. It's defined as a kind of sorrow that takes hold of a man such that it cannot be hid. Not just sorrow that aches the heart, but sorrow that brings tears to the eyes. So have you cried over your sin? Something you need to understand is that tears melt the heart of God. This is what one pastor said that I heard lately. He said, tears melt the heart of God, a broken and contrite heart. God doesn't despise. It invites God's blessing into your home, into your marriage, and into your life when you stop being sorry and weep over your sin. And this isn't easy for us. We are sorry, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. We live in a world who teaches us to do the opposite of mourning. And we're, we're all guilty, me too, of this. Because you know what the opposite of mourning is? laughter. The world teaches us to laugh at our sin. 
Think about the television shows you watch. Oh, he said, oh, nobody wants to look at me and make eye contact. Think about the television shows you watch, the movies that you watch, the music that you listen to, the comedians that you laugh along with. Think about the influences in your life and think about all the sin that you are choosing to laugh at. The world teaches us to laugh at our sin. It's no wonder we have difficulty mourning over our sin because we laugh at it. We wink at it. We entertain it and it entertains us. Sin is not something that breaks our heart anymore. And we'll never learn to mourn our sin until we learn to unplug from some of those things. So you're telling me to turn my TV off? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit talk to you about what you need to do in your life. Blessed are those who mourn. James 4, 8 through 10 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. This is an active participatory march towards him. Come close to him. You make effort. Draw close to him, and God will come close to you. And man, I'm so glad that God's steps towards me are much bigger than my steps towards him. It says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be, be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Our responsibility is to turn our laughter into mourning over our sin. I know it seems so upside down. It seems so backwards, and some of us know that this is absolutely true, that when we come to the end of ourselves, when our laughter turns to mourning, when our sin stops being funny. See, Aaron, I'm not sure that I know sin is funny. Well, you know that sin is fun, right? If your sin wasn't fun, then you weren't doing it right. Just being honest with you. But our, we need to come to a place where it stops being funny and we mourn it because we realize how offensive it is to God and what it does to our relationship with him and how much Jesus paid to bring us back together again. So I have a question. Where is the man who weeps over his selfishness and pride? Where is the woman who weeps over her gossip and vanity? Where is the man who weeps over his passivity and missed opportunities to lead his family? Where is the wife who weeps over her critical spirit? Where is the young person who weeps over their cheating, their lust, and their disrespect? And where is the Christian who watches the news, seeing the condition of the world and is broken and mourns? Blessed are you when you are brokenhearted over your sin, when your eyes fill with tears, at how much your sin costs Jesus. I, I know this seems contrary. I know that it seems reverse. I know you're like, man, I don't even know how to participate or what to do with this yet, Aaron. But Jesus promises us that this is the way to real life. Blessed are you who mourn. When we die to ourselves and say, all right, this doesn't seem right, this humbling of myself and really thinking about, taking a moment to consider, to ponder, to reflect on what my sin has done to my relationship with God and what Jesus has done in response to it to demonstrate his love for me. For me to mourn over this, this just doesn't seem like this is going to lead to life. And yet it does. Jesus promises that when we choose to die to ourselves in this way, that we will discover this real life when we become the walking dead. I like to call it the dead life. Hashtag, you can put that up. 
When we come to the end of ourselves, Jesus takes over our lives. And today, today what I'm doing, if you're not really sure how to respond to this, let me be clear. There's, there's three ways that you can respond to today's message and to this verse and what Jesus is asking you to do. In the Old Testament, one of the things that they did was something called penitential mourning. And they would have a time period of like seven days or maybe, maybe longer or shorter where they would mourn their sin. And what they would do is they would put on sackcloth, which is like a bur- burlap. It was itchy. It was uncomfortable. It was not the fashion statement of the day. And they would wear this and they would sit in ash to demonstrate that they were mourning. It was an outward reflection of something that was happening inward to them. And so today I've brought burlap sacks for all of you to wear this week. No, I haven't. I didn't. I didn't. But I did, I did cut some sackcloth rope. And we all wear these bracelets to kind of remind us of things. I mean, I remember when I was younger, WWJD was all the rage, and I don't think it so much is anymore, but Lance Armstrong's got the Live Strong, and you guys got these rubber bands that you wear around your wrist that remind you of something. So I'm going to invite you this week that on your way out, I have these sackcloth ropes. Grab one and tie it on your wrist and wear it this week to remind you to take time to be in mourning over your sin, to take time to reflect on what Jesus did, to take time and reflect on who God is versus who you are and understand, understand how horribly offensive your sins are. And in that time, I promise you that God will step in and meet you there. One of the other ways that you can, you can uh, participate today is God may be tucking at your heart about something that you're doing in your life and you need an opportunity to confess, you need an opportunity to ask for prayer, and that's what we have our connection cards for, that card on the bottom of the, of the, uh, that tears off the connection card in the back seat. If you need to write something down, say, Aaron, I, I, I need some help here, and God's speaking to my heart today. You can participate that way. Drop it in the offering bucket. We'll have somebody reach out to you this week and pray with you and see if we can help you. And the, the last way that you can participate is right now in prayer. So let's pray. Father, I, I, uh, I thank you for your word that is at work in our hearts and our lives. I know that this is not a popular message. This is not a hip, cool message. This humbling of ourselves, this voluntary confession, this willful looking at our sin, that thing that about us that is ugliest, that thing that, that about us that in our past or even in our current lives and attitudes and thoughts. It's not pretty to look at. But Lord, I pray this week that that as we mourn, as we look at these things, we would be able to mourn. We would feel the pain of our sins. We would understand how this separates us from you, what it's doing to us, what it's doing to you, what it does to our family members and our potential to make a difference in this world. Lord, and as we see these things, I pray that we we would mourn, we would weep over them. And Lord, I pray that as we do, that you would, you would comfort us. That we would experience your peace and your presence in a way that we have never experienced it before. Lord, over and over again, we see where as your people mourn, your blessing returns. In modern day language, we call it revival. We are revived again with a joy we have not known for so long. Lord, let us experience a reviving in our hearts and our lives as we mourn for our sins, as we learn to maintain this posture, this posture that you taught us in the Lord's Prayer. So forgive us our debts as we forgive those that have sinned against us. As we take time to regularly look 
Meet us in that space. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Put us in us a clean heart and a right spirit. And give us your joy. As we continue to pray, I know that there are those here in this room today say, Aaron, I don't even have a relationship with God. I don't, I don't know all of this, but my heart, my heart is, is on fire right now. I feel a drawing and a pulling. Let me tell you, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you into relationship with Jesus right now. God wants you to know him. He wants you to find freedom from the mistakes you've made in the past from the sin that you've been entangled with in your life. He wants you to know that he has a purpose for you. And he wants, to know that, wants you to know that he intends to use you to make a difference in this world through your story, through your life. That's what God wants for you. And today, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want to begin one, you don't know how, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. If you're listening by podcast or watching through Periscope, I believe that God will meet you right where you're at if you're ready to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Be in control. Be in charge and ask him to teach you his ways. If you're ready, pray with us. But if those of you here, if you'd want to be counted in on that prayer, I'm going to pray that prayer. I just want to know that you're here. Would you just put your hand up in the air? Do that now. Say, Aaron, that's me. Thank you. I'm going to pray this prayer, and and these are just going to be words unless you mean it, so you need to mean it. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I know that you came to this earth, and you lived a perfect and sinless life. That you died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sins. And that you rose again on the third day from the dead. Jesus, when you did that, you gave me the opportunity to be forgiven, so forgive me. Jesus, I'm at the end of myself, so make me brand new. Teach me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day pursuing what we're calling the dead life. Jesus, be Lord.